Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. Did that intro sound like it skipped? That was weird. That sounded like I was playing the intro off an LP and and the needle got stuck. I'm going to play that one more time. What was that? Let's listen to that again. Did it not sound like it skipped? All right, let's do that one more time. Ladies and gentlemen, okay, we're going to go live again. We're going to do a do-over because I don't know what that was. Let's see if if the uh, intro plays correctly here. Here we go. Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. That is so much better. Good evening. It is Wednesday, September the 27th. 2023. It is currently 7.33 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, it's Wednesday evening. I should be standing behind the pulpit at Victory Baptist Church, but that's not the case this evening. So we, if you've been paying attention to what's been going on at Victory Baptist Church, you know we have been in a lengthy series On the subject of dispensationalism, we're calling the series Dispensationalism 101, and it really started, if you think about it, with an unboxing. You you like those unboxing videos? For some people, some people love those unboxing videos, but an unboxing because I had purchased the anniversary edition of the 1917 Schofield Study Bible right? I have it right here. The anniversary edition of the Schofield Study Bible, the 1917 edition. And so I opened it up and we started a journey through the notes of the 1917 Schofield Study Bible, all the notes pertaining to covenants and dispensationalism. We have covered all the notes in regards to dispensationalism, and tonight we were going to finish up the notes on the covenants. It's been very, I think it's been very interesting. It's been very informative. We did a little bit of history on English Bibles, and I think it's been, I, I at least I think we have accomplished a lot. Some of you seem to have liked it. Others, maybe not so much, but that's always the case, no matter what I do. But hopefully, hopefully you know more about dispensationalism than you knew before we started, or at least have a better grasp of it. At least the classic 1917 version of Schofield's dispensationalism. When you get to the later editions of the Schofield Study Bible, it, it's they the notes are not the same. They've been changed, and you can look at the changes Ask yourself why those changes were made, and we could have a long discussion about that. But in the midst of all of this talk about dispensationalism and the covenants, we talked about the significance of theological systems, because theological systems, whether people like to admit this or not, theological systems becomes people's hermeneutical method. Their hermeneutical method is, I learned a theological system. See, when you became a Christian, they said, this is what you're supposed to believe about baptism. This is what you're supposed to believe about justification. This is what you're supposed to believe about sanctification. And you believe that. And then once you believe that, well, you interpreted the scriptures in light of the system that you have been given. And I believe that that is completely wrong, completely backwards, and that's not the way it's supposed to work. Your theological system should not be your hermeneutical method. You should not be taking your theology and reading it into the text. You're supposed to be reading the text, pulling out of the text your theology. Everyone wants to claim that's what they're doing, but the reality is you learn what to believe about specific things, and then you say that's what you believe, and then magically when you study and read the Bible, you see those things there, of course, because you didn't spend weeks, months, years doing deep verse by verse exegetical study without a system. No, no, no. You were given a system. Then you may have started your years of Bible study and you kept seeing the same thing in it over and over and over again because your system became your hermeneutic. So we talked about 
the, the dangers of theological systems and dispensationalism is just one of many different theological systems. And we talked about that. But I think we gained a pretty good understanding. We saw some of the positives, maybe some of the negatives, some of the things maybe we agreed, some of the things we disagreed with. We're not completely done. Like I said, we're going to finish what Schofield had to say about the covenants. Then we will take a step back and kind of do a historical overview and background on dispensationalism. Maybe summarize it up with some summarize it all, sum up the entire series with kind of an overview of the basic tenets, the basic principles of dispensationalism, and then we will uh, move on to something else. So hopefully you have enjoyed the series, but because it's Wednesday night and I'm supposed to be working on dispensationalism, I thought, you know what we'll do? We'll have a little fun. We'll have a little fun. So I grabbed the Sermons 2.0 app. I I hit the hashtag dispensationalism. There was like 1,119 sermons, I think. There was some crazy number of sermons under the hashtag dispensationalism. And I just chose a random one. I, I chose a random one. And this random one is called, Why is Dispensationalism So Vital? Why is Dispensationalism So Vital? And it, it's not a super long sermon. It's about 30 something minutes. Um, it does, it didn't look like it was like, you know, part one of 50 or anything like that. So I thought I'll just grab this one. Now remember the rules for sermon reviews. I don't listen to them first, right? Because then the review comes across as being rehearsed. It's a production, right? No. I, I, we go into these things blind. Basically, it's like, hey, it's Wednesday evening. Hey, you want to listen to a sermon together? Let's listen to a sermon together, and then we'll stop and talk about it. Just like if we were listening to a sermon together in person, I'd be like, oh, pause. Well, what do you think about this? And what about this? And what about this? And I think this. Okay, next. All right, let, and we would just walk through it. So that's the goal. Sometimes these are so much fun, okay? Sometimes they're fun for you and not fun for me because you listen to me have a mental breakdown and lose my mind. Sometimes it's not fun for you or me because it's over and we're like, well, that's 35 minutes or 40 minutes or an hour of my life I'm never going to get back because we never know what's going to happen. We just don't know. None of the sermons are picked because I'm like, this is going to be bad. It's it's not that, it's just... We, we choose random ones. So hopefully this will be beneficial. I don't know which direction they're going to go. The fact that it's entitled, Why is Dispensationalism So Vital? Clearly, it seems to be pro-dispensationalism, all right? So, may, you know, maybe. Um, and we may do a couple of more sermon reviews in the series on dispensationalism, bring in some sermons that are negative towards the system or appear to be, have an anti-dispensational view, and we may contrast those with everything that we've studied. I think that will be beneficial. Does that sound good? I think so. You ready to have a little bit of fun? So you know the rules, right? Notebooks, Bibles, pencils. Let's dig in. I'm going to have my Schofield here, my 1970, my anniversary edition of the 1917 Schofield Bible. I'm going to have it here. I do have other Bibles. I have a notebook. I have pencils. Have of water. I do have water. And uh, I don't know what's going to happen. So I, I don't, I can't offer any great, you know, introduction here other than let's spend some time discussing dispensationalism by reviewing a sermon on dispensationalism. And we'll see how this goes along with what we've talked about, or it may go in a completely different direction. And who knows? We'll see. And we, we're going to start and we're going to find out. We're going to see. Oh, well, right now, here we go. Take your Bible, take your Bible, if you don't have one, there's one in the seat ahead of you, and we'll start, we'll start in Acts 20, we'll get there in just a minute. So I had started, the, the Wednesday night before I left, I would started a series on apostasy in the end times, and then I forgot about it, and then I got something else for tonight. It kind of goes along with it. So we'll do this tonight and then we'll get back to looking at Christian apostasy in the last days. But we'll start in Acts 20. And tonight's subject, obviously you can see it there on your handout, is understanding dispensations. I'm so glad to see everyone that's out tonight. Uh, I only printed out 16 because I thought that's all that I would need. I was going to print 20. That was the first 
couple of interesting things. Uh, he, I guess he's referring to as understanding the dispensations. So I don't know. I don't know if they changed the title or he didn't think understanding the dispensations worked or he, what he wanted to do is he wants people to understand the dispensations in order for them to see why dispensationalism is so vital. I do think it's funny. Sometimes that does happen as a, you start, you preach a sermon or you preach something and then you, 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 you're studying or you're reading and you almost forget that you were like, Oh, wait a minute. We got to go back and do that. We, you're already ready to move, to move on to something else. So that, that just makes me laugh. But so we'll see. Um, I wish we had a copy of the handout. That would be kind of cool to see what handout is. I'm assuming it's a chart of the dispensations or maybe it's just a, a list. Here's dispensation number one. It goes from this scripture to this scripture. Here's dispensation number two. And now I wonder if it's going to sound like the 1917 list. Or it's going to sound like the later, because some of the later list, even in the Schofield Bible, I think it's the dispensation of grace is referred to as the dispensation of the church, I believe. Um, so it'll be, we'll see, we'll see which way it's going to go. And we're, I'm, I'm curious to see, but let's find out. First number that came to my mind, next time I'm going to print 20. So glad I didn't have enough, I guess. Um, now we're going to study this. Very, very important topic, understanding dispensations. Um, And you say, well, why is that important? The word is kind of a strange word. I I don't use this in my everyday language and so on. Well, have you ever wondered this? Why are there so many denominations and so many beliefs among so-called Christian people in the world? You ever ask yourself that question? That's a good question. That's a good question. Why are there so many beliefs and so many denominations in Christianity? Why is it that you can buy 10 commentaries and may end up with 30, 40, 50 different interpretations of one verse? Why is it that nobody seems to agree on any verse? We can't even agree. Just think about the disagreements with this in Christianity. And I know if you listen to me, you're very familiar with what I'm about to say. But we don't agree on the subject of baptism. We don't agree on the subject of the Lord's Supper. We don't agree on the, how the church should be structured. We don't even agree within Christianity on the word repentance and what it means. We don't even really, uh, we, we, you may try to claim that we agree on, on salvation. We don't really agree on salvation. You think we agree on justification, but we really don't. We don't agree on sanctification. We really don't agree on anything within the Christian world. And you have to ask yourself, why is that the case? Why is it that there is no agreement. Now, on one hand, what you may say is, well, obviously the reason there's no agreement is because there's no source of truth. There is no authority. If we had a source of, if we had one source that everyone could go to and everyone could look at, then guess what? We would all agree. Well, we claim to have that source of authority. We claim to have that source of truth and it's the Bible. But for some reason, that doesn't lead to unity. It leads to disagreement and division. Why is that? Now, then you say, well, is there something wrong with the Bible? Well, we would never say there's something wrong with the Bible. Well, then is there something wrong with us? And if there's something wrong with us, why can't we fix us so that we could find agreement and we could have, you know, one Christianity, one interpretation, maybe one commentary, maybe, 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 maybe we just reduce it to five or six. Now, the Catholic Church, if you remember in church history, their argument was, no, 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 no. The, the role of interpretation, the role of declaring dogma, that belongs to the church alone. The church has the authority, not the individual, the church. The church declares the dogma. The church de- interprets the Bible. And then, of course, during the Protestant Reformation, it's like, no, 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 the church doesn't have the power. The individual has the power. Well, once the individual says, no, it's me and my Bible, and Christians will say, no, we don't really believe that. Well, that's that's in reality and practice. That's what it comes down to. Each individual Christian in their Bible, they open the Bible, they read it, and then they get to determine if your sermon is right or if your sermon is wrong, if your church is good or if your church is bad. They don't need seminary. They don't need Bible college. They don't need Bible institute. They don't need to know hermeneutics. They don't need systematic theology. They can just magically say, you're wrong. You're wrong, pastor. Your church is wrong. And I'm going to go somewhere else and you're and just magically do so. 
You say, but, but, but well, that's a little extreme, but that's the way it works. And, and be, no, people say, no, I'm respectful. And I, you may be respectful until you, you may be respectful to the authority until you disagree with the authority. And then based on your own authority, you get to dogmatically declare that that church is wrong and that pastor is wrong and that his interpretation is wrong. And rarely is that, con- that conclusion made with, you know, based off hours and hours of extensive exegetical study. It's just declared. So me, the pastor going to seminary, the pastor going to Bible college, it's really just a waste of time. So really then what the problem, the pro, if the problem isn't in the scripture, and if we reject the Catholic view that the, the church should be the one giving the interpretation, if we reject that view, then if it's the individual who has the right, the authority, we would assume the ability to figure it out, then there's something wrong inside of us and our ability to carry this out because nobody can agree literally on anything. So why is there so many denominations? Why is there so much division? Why is there so much disagreement? Where where, where lies the problem? Now, some say it's Satan. Satan is the problem. Okay, well then how do we fix that? Okay, how, how do we fix that? Well, what's the issue? What do you think he's going to say? What do you, what do you think? What do you think? If you if we were, not that I'm encouraging gambling, but if we were taking bets here, what do you think? What do, where, where is he going to put the blame? Is he going to blame Satan? Is he going to blame pastors? Is he going to blame people? Is he going to blame the lack of a systematic theology? I don't, what is he going to blame? I don't know. Let, let's find out. Here we go. Um, if there's only one Bible, then how do we have so many different beliefs? Well, first of all, there's not one Bible, there's actually two. There's the Lord's Bible, the authorized King James Version, and there is the corrupt counterfeit version that comes from the Romish church, the Popish church. Okay, so we know we have a KJV-only uh, pastor, a KJV-only church. There's basically only two Bibles. The real Bible, the 1611 KJV. Well, I mean, nobody uses the actual 1611. They use, okay, well, you got All right, but the, the King James and then all the others are corrupt. So maybe that's the problem. I mean, that, that's a, hey, that theory is good as any other theory. The problem is we don't have one Bible. If everyone was using the same Bible, then there would be agreement. But does that really work out in church history? Did all of the divisions start because there wasn't just one Bible? Is that, is that, is that what led to all the problems? If everyone was just using the King James, if everyone was just using the King James, you think, well, I know, I know someone as Pentecostals who just use the King James. <laughs> mm, something's wrong because they're using the King James and I use the King James and we do not agree. They deny the doctrine of the Trinity. They put forth the ancient heresy of modalism, Sabalianism, this oneness idea. Um, they're using the King James. Doesn't work. I know others. I know I've, I've known others who are uh, in other areas of the charismatic world, holiness uh, in kind of in a charismatic holiness kind of Pentecostal kind of church. Uh, maybe maybe they held to a Trinitarian belief. They use the King James, completely different perspective. So I, I, is it is it because we have different Bibles? I mean, hey, it's, if you could prove that. Yeah, it, it, now, I do agree, sometimes it can be maddening. It sometimes can be maddening when you're preaching a text and you're like, okay, this is what the text says. And then someone's like, nope, nope, nope. My text says something different than your text. And then you're like, oh boy, okay. So then you have to try to figure, well, your manuscripts are different than these manuscripts. Well, which manuscript is right? Okay. Yeah. It, I'm not saying it doesn't raise confusion and doubt and can it be problematic. I just don't know if that's the issue. I don't know if that's the issue. Let's see if he offers... Any other solutions? But aside from that, that's not our subject tonight. The plethora of so-called Christian denominations is the result of major disagreements among believers, especially on the doctrines of salvation and eternal security. What's the problem? Why so many disagreements? I'll tell you why. A failure to recognize 
the dispensations in the Bible. All right, so his solution or his thinking is a failure to recognize the dispensations in the Bible leads to the never-ending disagreement about salvation, eternal security of the believer, and I'm assuming other doctrines. So his thinking is if we, everyone was a dispensationalist, then there would no, not be, well, division. Now, if you take this to its logical conclusion, well, if everyone was a Roman Catholic, there, there would be no disagreement. If everyone was covenantal uh, in their theological approach, there would not be any, if everyone would just agree on one theological system, there wouldn't be any disagreement. I mean, I don't know if you can just say, well, hey, because people don't understand the dispensations. What you're saying is people would have to hold to dispensationalism and then there would be, that would eliminate all the, all the disagreements. By, by that logic, anyone, if any one theological system, if everyone would gr- agree upon it, it would remove all problems. But please note what happens. The, 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 at that point, the Bible would no longer be the authority, what that theological system would be the authority, right? So that, that, that is, that, inevitably what he is saying is we need an authority. We need a theological system as the authority. Everyone needs to agree to that theological system. And then, dun, 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 we have unity. Everyone's, oh, we can all sing Kumbaya. All right. Every way. But it, it doesn't, that, that seems to get away from the Bible being the authority. Now, he would argue dispensationalism arises from the text, but someone holding to covenantal theology would say, no, 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 covenantal theology arises from the text. And so it's never ending. But I do agree if everyone can just agree on one theological system and no one questions it, no one challenges it, and everyone just submits to it, you would have unity. Well, let's see where he goes with this. In other words, a failure to rightly divide the word of truth. Okay? All right, so here we go. The problem is there's a failure to rightly divide the word of truth. Now, what I love about this, this is such a common thing within the Christian world, okay? Hey, the reason there's so much division, the reason there's so much disagreement, the reason there's so many problems is because people don't know how to rightly divide the word of truth. But isn't it interesting that every person thinks they are the ones rightly dividing the word and everyone else is wrongly dividing the word? Hey, the problem is people aren't rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, what is the right way to divide it? My way. <laughs> if you divide it my way, it's right. If you divide it your way, your way is wrong. Well, what, what if my way is right and your way is wrong? That's impossible. My way is the right way. So, but it, because does the scripture tell us this is the right way to divide the word of truth? Obviously, there's a wrong way. So, does the Bible clearly tell us the right way? Because if it did, you would think we would just all follow it and then the problem would be over. But I always find it interesting that people say, well, their problem over there is they don't know how to rightly divide the word of the truth, the word of truth. Well, that implies that you do and they don't. And they would say the problem with you is that you don't rightly divide the word of truth. I don't know. I don't know if this really, I don't know if he's really discovered the problem or given us a solution. I agree. Everyone should rightly divide the word of truth. We can all agree we should do that. Give me five steps to ensure that you're rightly dividing the word of truth. I almost want to turn it into a Bible study exercise. Okay, all right, but let's, let's see where he goes with this. Problem is twofold, and I'm going to add a third one. I was thinking about it on the way in. If you have a handout, I want to add a third one. The problem is threefold. Number one, Satan has a dog in the fight. Number two... Men were not rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15. And number three, Christian apostasy. I'll explain, but that needs to be added. Apostasy. Okay, so there are three reasons. Satan has a dog in the fight, so Satan is involved. Number two, men are not rightly dividing the word of truth. And three, Christian apostasy. Now, once again, when it comes to Christian apostasy, who are the apostates? Who gets to make the decision? You say they're the apostate. Others would look at you and say you're the apostate. So once again, 
This this preach is good. There's three reasons. There's so many different denominations. Number one, Satan. Okay, well then how do we stop Satan from dividing us? What's the answer? What's the answer? Because the answer would be like, well, you got to study your Bible. But everyone is studying their Bible, all claiming that they have the truth. So then how does that work? Men are not rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay, how, then what are the steps to rightly dividing the word of truth? Is there is there five is there five steps that would ensure you're rightly dividing the word of truth? And then Christian apostasy. Well, yes, Christian apostasy will lead to division. The problem is, who are the apostates and who are the ones telling the truth? If I, if I declare a dogma, look, I'll, I'll just make it very clear. I think the entire world of charismatic Christianity, I don't care how, how charismatic light they may be or how charismatic plus they may be. I don't care if they go, if they are Bethel all the way to the smallest kind of low key charismatic. I don't care. I think the entire system is apostate, corrupt, evil and needs to be removed from the face of planet earth and any other planet it could be found it needs to be we need to search and destroy it's it, i believe the entire charismatic world is apostate but guess what they would say i'm apostate <laughs> so who who gets to decide who's an apostate I, I i mean i was told by a presbyterian that i am in literally in sin based as basically apostate because we don't baptize babies <laughs> so like get, i mean how do you i don't know how that fixes the problem i don't know how that like that's the reason it's there well how do we fix any of this all right let's see obviously he thinks the answer is dispensationalism dispensationalism i guess will keep satan at bay and it will help men rightly divide the word of truth and it will keep us from uh christian apostasy all right, well, let, let's see where else he goes with this. A-P-O-S-T-A-C-Y. Apostasis. Falling away from truth. A compromise. Maybe I'll just hit that real quick just because I just said it. For example, in the Southern Baptist Convention and the American Baptist Convention from which this church separated from. Uh, it, it went through a time in the middle... 1900s uh, of apostasy, it departed from the truth. In other words, they stopped believing in the infallibility of the scriptures. They stopped believing in the miracles of the Bible, that they were literal. They stopped believing that God had preserved his word for us and moved away from the authorized Bible. So as a result of apostasy, then... Independent Baptists came out of the Southern Baptist Convention and the American Baptist Convention and became independent. So we had the Independent Baptist Movement of the 1970s. That's one reason, and that's just among the Baptists. I'm not going to deal with other denominations because I don't know anything about them, really. But I do know about my own. Okay, So that apostasy, whenever there is a compromise... I do have to laugh a little bit about that. I don't really know much about the other denominations, but obviously I know they're wrong. Okay, I don't. I don't know much about them, but I know they're wrong. Okay, because I know we are right now. This now he is giving a little bit of kind of the history of the rise of the fundamentalist. Right? Remember, I always tell everyone to read what the four volume set called the Fundamentals. Right? Because that this is very instrumental in that time. The Niagara Bible Conference. That's the Schofield Bible. All of this is very instrumental in that early 1900 history where higher criticism came and some of the seminaries and denominations were taking on the higher criticism, questioning uh, the inspiration of scripture, authorship, dating, and a lot of things really calling into question certain things about the Bible. Do we take the miracles literal? How much of it is allegorical? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yet, yes, there was a breakaway. There were some who wanted to fight it. They were, in a sense, the fundamentalists. We're going to fight it. The evangelicals wanted to kind of just more appease it and not such a hostile, combative tone, right? Well, the fundamentalists then kind of separated, pulled people. They, they were, we're not going to send people to those seminaries and those Bible colleges. They started their own individual Bible institutes where the training for men for ministry was happening inside the church. Now, I do think that model is more biblical, if you ask me, but... um 
that, 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 so it is an important time in history, but just remember, it was an important time in history, but everyone was telling them, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. I'm right. No, no, you're wrong. And, and so he's still really, why, why is there, why can't there be agreement? And all he's given us is Satan is somehow involved. Men are not rightly dividing the word of truth or Christian apostasy. Okay. So, again, there's so so many questions there and exactly how does that play out? But let's see where he goes with this. Among a group, and it's you can't recover from it. You, you cannot uh, reform it. You have to separate from it. The Bible commands you to do that. So in some cases, it's because of a necessary separation due to apostasy. The old illustration for apostasy is this. Remember the, the, the farmer and his mule? Remember that? There was a farmer. Now this is just make-believe, okay? There was a farmer who had a mule. And with the rising costs of grain, it was getting harder and harder for him to feed his mule. So he started to add in a little bit of sawdust into the feed. And at first, it wasn't a problem. As the costs went up on feed... So did the amount of sawdust that he put into his feet. And then one day he goes out to his barn to get the mule and, and to go to work, and the mule's lying there dead. That's a perfect picture of apostasy. It's gradual. Before you know it, you've moved from being biblical and centered on Christ and on the truth of Scripture and taking a stand, you know, for the right things. Before you know it, gradually a church can become more and more worldly. And the same thing can happen to denominations. For example, first thing that will happen, usually, is a church will change its music. It will go from reverent, uh, God-honoring, doctrine-filled hymns to replacing it with a bunch of youngsters playing rock music, putting the words up on a screen and getting rid of the hymn books. And they're, they're playing, they, they started that with those 7-Eleven songs. Now, admittedly, they've gotten better since then. Seven words, 11 times, you know. And after the music has changed, usually the next thing that happens, as they're compromising their standards now, they're becoming less uh, reverent in worship and less formal, less conservative, they, they will change their Bible translation. It's always what happens. After the music has changed, the Bible translation will change. They'll get rid of God's standard, the old book, the old black book, and they'll replace it with corrupt perversions of the Bible. And when that happens, that happens as a result of pastors who have been trained in seminaries where they no longer believe in the infallibility and the inspiration of the Bible as it is in here, they no longer believe in the preservation of the Bible. They, they teach them that the miracles aren't uh, true. They teach them that Adam and Eve in the Old Testament weren't real people. It was an allegory and so on. You know, Jesus uh, said that Jonah was swallowed by a whale, you know, and that wasn't true. Whales can't swallow men and so on and so forth. So they just pick apart the Bible a little at a time. And when those preachers get into the churches, they allow the churches to compromise and move and become more and more worldly. Before you know it... When they change this Bible version, guess what else happens? They water down the doctrines. They stop preaching against sin. They stop uh, soul winning. They don't even talk about that. And then the church becomes more worldly in order to please the worldlings that are coming in. And they want to make sinners feel comfortable. So rather than the church going out to reach the world, the church tries to become more like the world in order to reach the world. It's a compromise. Before you know it, they're no longer winning souls. They're no longer missions-minded. They're not sending people out from their own ranks to go be missionaries around the world. And uh, they, people in the church, uh, they might be interested in social programs, feeding the hungry and so on, and celebrate recovery. They might be interested in those things, but they're not interested in what the church was founded to do. And they're not interested in standing for the truth and exposing lies, and so on and so forth. And they're certainly not interested in a preacher preaching. So the sermons get shorter, shorter, and shorter. They stop having Sunday nights. Eventually they stop having Wednesday night prayer meetings. And they move toward a different program. Now, there is... You, 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 we could have a long discussion about this. Um, 
obviously, I have nothing he is saying here is even shocking or surprising to me because I've heard all of this a good portion of my Christian life. Because, uh, see, saved, uh, I was uh, first church Southern Baptist, then become Lutheran, then a, a horribly liberal Lutheran church, then a Missouri Synod Lutheran. Okay, start learning some doctrine and theology. All right, then I end up in Germany. Okay, fi- walk into an independent fundamental Baptist church, change my view on baptism, go back to. Papillion, I go back to Bellevue, Nebraska, and then I end up finding a church in Papillion, Nebraska, which is an independent fundamental Baptist church. And back in the 90s, they were talking about this, you know, kind of, you know, if you know Spurgeon and the downgrade controversy, they would outline this basic steps that this is what happens to churches. The music changes, the translation changes, scriptures get watered down, standards go, they stop preaching against sin, and then the church becomes a little bit more worldly and more worldly. And next thing you know, it becomes more entertainment-minded. Now, he didn't say entertainment, he said it become more socially-minded, more of a social gospel. I think it becomes more entertainment-minded, more of a cult, of a, a country club, more of a community center, more of a, you know, about community and about, you know, m- having friends and fellowships and activities. And the next thing you know, uh, services start getting you know canceled. You you get rid of Sunday night. You do this. You may go to small groups. And there is some truth to this kind of pattern. Now I don't know if music is should always be blamed. I don't know if it should, but there is a little bit of truth to this. Um, uh, we watched this happen. If if you would have read the Purpose Driven Church by Rick Warren, he kind of he, he talks about changing the music. Well, when we left Nebraska to first come back to Texas, right? And we were looking for churches, looking for churches. We we finally settled on a church, not because it was necessarily the one we wanted, but at least it was a church that had Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. Like literally, it was hard to find churches that didn't have a Sunday night service, didn't have a Wednesday service. And I'm like, well, if most of the week I'm going to be then responsible for trying to teach and, 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 and make up for all the church is not doing with my own family, then what's the point of going to church at all? Like if, you know, if I, it's like, well, we get Sunday morning and then Sunday night, I have to do the teaching at home. Wednesday night, I have to do that. Well, then well, what's even the point? I, I, I'll just teach all the time at home. So, um, we finally find one and, but we could tell, I knew almost instantaneously that something was going on because the first time I walked into the pastor's office, I noticed behind him on the bookshelf, there was the Purpose Driven Church by Rick Warren. And I was like, oh, this church is in the middle of a transformation. And guess what started happening? Slowly but surely, they started changing some of these things. And he talked about the struggle with the with the music. He was trying to change the music, right? And he was trying to get rid of the organ. And he was trying to do. And he's he was trying to change this and change it. And 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 you literally, he was following the playbook handed down in Rick Warren. And he was trying to make it more, you know, something else. Well, finally, that pastor, you know, gets called by God to go to a large church in Florida. Okay, boom, he bails on the church. And then guess what? The church and Implodes. And half of the people leave, the other half stick around. And then now it's called South Point. It used to be like Harvest Baptist Church. Now it's like South Point. And it's got, you know, they, they got rid of the pews. They went with these different kind of seating. They went with, you know, I think they got rid of some of the services, either Wednesday night. They kind of went to small. Oh, they just, right. The music changed. Everything changed because that was where the, he was leading the church, systematically leading the church. And it said that, that they kind of do that. I think he was getting away from the, from the King James. Like there's some there's some of it that is factual. Now I'm not saying it's all to be blamed, but there is steps that starts changing a church. Churches go through these evolutions and these change. Now once again, though, one person is making a judgment against the other. The other side would judge your side, and so it still comes down to who is right, and it still doesn't explain why there's so many denominations and divisions. Why? Why is that? Why does this happen? Why? Why? It still doesn't explain it. Now, I think in many cases, the church will move, churches have a tendency to move to a much more community-based idea. When I say community, like the church becomes a community and you build relationships and you get friends and it becomes a community club. It becomes a community center. I've talked about one of the large charismatic churches uh, here in Abilene, they're currently in their uh, a new like ad campaign. They're putting up these billboards across the city, and it's about like don't do life alone. 
Don't do life alone. Come to church because you can meet people and you don't have to do life alone. Well, so now you come to church to meet people so you don't have to do life alone. Like what, what where is that going? So um, I do believe churches have a tendency to move that direction because I, pe- I think people's natural, like if we're really honest with our sinful nature and who we are in, in the flesh, I think we want more fun, food, fellowship, and friends than we want systematic theology, preaching, teaching, studying, text, church history, doctrine. Now, there's always people out there who want those things, but they're in the minority. They're always in the minority of every church. The average person just wants a sermon. They want a nice little sermon. They don't want anything too deep, but they they want to make it, it still feels like a sermon to some degree. And then they want lots of other activities where they can meet people and and have friendship and and, and that. So I, I do agree a little bit that there is a pattern here that you can see, like, like you could develop your own pattern of how, what, how a church goes through a period of transformation. What has changed? So I think there's some truth to this. Now, again, he still hasn't really answered the question. Why is there so much division within Christianity? His argument is, well, because people abandon the right music and so, but then why do people, do, yeah, it still leads to a lot. Now, what I'm perplexed by, because we're 40 minutes into this review, we still haven't even, we still haven't learned anything about dispensationalism, but let's see if he'll at least get us there. Here we go. Here we go. You say, what's that? Christian apostasy. And when that happens, people break off of those corrupt denominations, now, I just, I hate to talk about this. It feels like every time I get together, I talk about it, but it's just, it's in your face. It's everywhere. There's, there are Presbyterian churches in the PCA, Presbyterian Church of America. It's an evangelical denomination, but it's, it's gone way downhill. Uh, you know, and they're having like these transgender or these, uh, these, Sicko perverts, uh, what, are they, what do they call them? Men dressed up as women? Yeah. Okay, got to call people sicko and perverts. You got to call, start calling names. Okay, oh, all right. And now, see, people will get it. People will get it. Now, all of a sudden, you got people in the audience participating because now people want to jump in. Now, now, now you, you hit one of those, you know, culture war things and people going, okay, all right. Uh, I, wanted to get, I wanted him to get to dispensationalism. Let's see where he's going to go with this. All right. But once again, it's his side. Oh, well, we could get into a whole discussion, but let, let's, let's see where this goes. Yeah, so, and that's why that split. There you go. So that's why there's another denomination there. And, and God bless them. They're doing the right thing to do that. Now, if they'd get right about the female pastor part, because that's another example of apostasy. Drag queen, that's what it is. In a church? It's not a church anymore. Yeah, sodomites. Yeah, and I, I, get, I tell you, I, just, I get tired of talking about it. I do, but it's just... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just read an article this morning, uh, a few days ago, where the, the World Economic Forum, mm-hmm. they're using this artificial intelligence, you've heard of AI, mm-hmm. they're rewriting the Bible for the one world uh, Christian, or one world religion. Mm-hmm. They're doing that right now. They are. They, they- Okay, I'm laughing. I'm laughing a little bit here because this is supposed to be about dispensationalism. And now we have AI rewriting the Bible for the one world religion. Okay, because of the world economic form. All right. Here, here, here. I'm laughing because it's so easy when you're a pastor and you do allow people to talk from the pulpit or from the pew. You do want that kind of engagement. You do. You sometimes have no clue what's getting ready to happen. You. It's it's one of the most dangerous things you can do. I love doing it. Like I, I I encourage that you know trying to get people to talk. But you never know what's going to happen, right? Like sometimes I regret that I teach that way. But I I'm, I try to keep it not so open ended. Like you just like, hey, we're talking about this, and you can just like, hey, today I was reading a news article about the AI, a super AI rewriting the Bible for the one world religion at the World Economic Forum. Like like it has nothing to do with what he's supposed to be talking about. He's supposed to be talking about dispensation. 
sensationalism. But um, I, I, but I know I have sat there and next thing you know, you're like, uh, this person is wanting to argue with me in the middle of a sermon. They want to actually have an argument with me in the middle of a sermon. And you're like, what do you do? It's like you're being challenged. So do you push back or do you, or do you just say, hey, I don't know if you look around here, but we're at church. I'm in the middle of a sermon. Do you mind? Like, I mean, I mean, if you want to be a pastor, you know, go, go be a pastor. Like, you know, what are you doing? But that's a whole different issue. But, uh, all right. Hopefully he can get this back under control because we wanted to hear, see what happens when you do these sermon reviews. You don't know what's going to happen. All right. We, we want him to get to dispensationalism. We want him to give us the, remember his really, his whole, <laughs> Yeah, I know. Someone else is saying it's funny. It's just random AI commentary. I know. It's crazy. All right. But um, well, I, he, he, he has structured this by putting forth a hypothesis or putting forth a question. Hey, guys, why does no one agree on anything? And he's kind of put forth a hypothesis. His, his hypothesis seems to basically be, well, because of apostasy. And then he gets to determine who the apostates are. So anyone who doesn't agree with him is an apostate, and that's why there's so much division, because then the right good people have to separate from the bad people. And of course, everyone who separates always thinks that they're the good people, <laughs> but the people who don't separate always think that they're the good people. So that doesn't really still explain why there's so much division. All you're doing explaining why maybe division could be necessary, but that doesn't really explain who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. Other than everyone thinks that they're the good guy and everyone thinks the other person is the bad guy. Like, I, it, it, I, this doesn't really answer the question, but let's see, let's see if we can get past their impromptu, I don't know what you call it. And maybe we can get to dispensationalism. He's going to have to regain control over this relatively quick. Let's see what happens. They have the Queen James Bible. I don't know if you know about that. It's, it's sick. But uh, you're right, and it's, it is. It's, it's all moving toward that one world setup. But listen, you know, <laughs> whose fault is it? Right? I mean, yeah, the problem is in the pulpit, but listen, God's people should have never allowed it to happen. Some young man comes back from seminary and starts giving them that, that, that junk. What should happen? Well, the people should just fire him and get a real preacher. You know, but now please know whose fault is it? It's the people's fault. Now this is where this is where it gets really strange in the the non-Catholic world, right? This, this I, and I know I wanted to. I thought we were going to be talking about dispensationalism, but uh, and, and we we obviously probably never going to get there. But that's okay. But th this is important. This is this is something that drives me crazy, and I don't know why people don't perceive this or realize this. But I really want you to think this through. All right. So you say, whose fault is it? It's the people's fault. If someone comes from seminary teaching that junk, they should fire him and get a real preacher. Okay, so listen, if the people in the pew, therefore, is the ultimate judge and determining factor of what is true and what is right, they're the ones who judges the preaching, and they're doing so without seminary, without Bible college, without any formal education, then why do you need pastors who go to seminary in the first place? If going to seminary and then you're going to preach to people and the people without that level of education are the one making the ultimate final judgment of what is true and what is false and they fire you, hire you, leave the church, split the church, start a new church. If they're the ones ultimately in charge, then I don't understand why any formal training is necessary in the ministry. It's useless. It's meaningless. You can go to, you can go to four year school. You can have eight, you can get a master's. You can get a doctorate. You can stand up there, doctor. It doesn't matter who you are. You can know Greek. You can know Hebrew. You can know Latin. You can have taken 10 courses on Old Testament survey, 10 courses on New Testament survey. You could have studied systematic theology, biblical theology, practical theology. You can know every, all the different systems of eschatology. You can know it all. And then you will preach and someone will say, you are wrong. And you're like, okay, well then, why did I even bother going to school? And nobody ever thinks that through. On one hand, we say the people in the pew are responsible. Well, if they're responsible, they're, they should be the ones going to school. 
The people in the pew should be going to seminary. The people in the pew should be going to Bible college. If they're going to be the ones judging and determining and they're the ones responsible, then they should know, they should be the ones with formal education. If it does not require formal education to determine when preaching is right or preaching is wrong, when preaching is true or false, then there's no point in getting the formal education. It's a waste of time and money. And I don't know why the church hasn't woken up to this weird, someone goes to seminary, they come in and then someone could just go, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And I'm going to leave the church and I'm going to try to convince other people to leave the church. Or I'm going to go start another. What's the point of going to school? The whole game is just nobody sees the silly game that we play. Like I like I don't understand. Like he says, whose fault is this? Whose fault is the church is in a mess and we have the Queen James uh, version of the Bible and and why 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 like why is all this going on? Why? Well, it's the people in the pew. They're the ones who allow it. Someone goes off to seminary. They come back teaching this nonsense. People in the pew should be able to detect it. Determine that it's false, judge it that it's false, and do something about it. That means who's the authority? People in the pew. Well, if the people in the pew are the authority, and their authority supposedly comes from a right interpretation of God's word, then the people in the pew have to be masters of the text. And if they've already mastered the text without seminary, without formal education, meaning then you can master the text without formal education. But on one end, that we still want, but no, we need a pastor with a degree. Why? So that you can judge him? <laughs> the system is a joke. The whole system is broken. And whenever I mention this, nobody wants to acknowledge it. Nobody ever, nobody ever wants to stop and go, well, you know, that is kind of a weird system. Because on one hand, the people in the pew are responsible. Right? And, and, and the non-Catholic world, the church doesn't have the authority. The individual has the authority. How do they have the authority? They, them, themselves study and read the Bible. And based off that, they can determine whether what is preached is true or false. Meaning, supposedly, that it's easy enough to understand that even a person without any formal education can do it. So then what's the point of the formal education? And you go to seminary and supposedly learn all of this deep stuff. You're not supposed to teach from the pulpit anyway, because the sermons are supposed to be short and practical and to the point because you can't get too deep because, you know, you don't want to do that from the pulpit. So I don't even know what's the point of learning it anyway. And even if you learn it, the minute you say something that someone disagrees with, it's a waste of time because it, then it just leads to people. Like, the, oh, I don't I, I like at some point someone needs to write a book calling out how messed up this whole system is. Like the whole Christian world needs to wake up one day and go, this is the most convoluted system in the world. I think in a lot of denominations, they've already apostatized and God's no longer calling preachers in their denominations, so they just take what they can get, I guess. So that's part of the 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 uh, reason for the problem, the threefold reason I have is uh, Christian apostasy. Now, secondly, Satan has a dog in the fight. So look at Acts chapter twenty. Why are there so many denominations, so many different beliefs? Um, yeah. Yeah, and that they can correct God's word. Yeah. You're right. I like that. Someone in the in the pew said because they think they're smarter than God, and he says because they can they think they can correct God's word. But if you think you're you think you're smarter than you think that they think they're smarter than God, and you think you're smarter than them, they think that they're interpreting God's word right. You think you're in, you still haven't answered the question why there's so many denominations. The, the, I, this is not, where is dispensational? But he's going, I, I, okay, obviously we're not going to get to dispensationalism. This is hilarious. See, see I love these, ser- I love, like on some ways I feel bad for these sermon reviews because I feel bad for you guys. But for me, it's kind of fun because I always think, oh, we're good. 
and then I never know where we're going to end up. But it's not my, just know it's not my fault. If you call your sermon, why is dispensationalism so vital? And you spend the first, I don't know, 45 minutes talking about everything other than dispensationalism that you can't blame me for that. Right? But he's in Acts 20. At least we finally get a text. Let's see what we're going to learn here. Let's see what we're going to learn here, right? Here we go. And it brings more people in, sure. Which makes you look successful. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, you know, I want to have I want to have every one of these chairs filled up. I do. But if if all God gives us, like I think my job is to fill the pulpit, and it's God's job to use us to fill the pews. But it's not my job to fill the pews necessarily. I I got to fill the pulpit, and if what I'm doing from the pulpit. Uh, is not received well by the people in the pew. And if I'm doing the right thing and just preaching the word, well, my job is just to keep filling the pulpit. But the thing is, if it's not if it's not received well by the people in the pew, the people in the pew determine if what you're doing in the pulpit is true or false, at least according to them. Now, you can be, you can walk away going, well, I tried to preach the truth and they didn't like it. But who has the authority to judge what is being preached as being true or false? Is it the pastor who can say, no, guys, I'm preaching the truth? Or is it the people who have the authority to say, no, you're not preaching the truth? Who gets to ultimately decide what's being preached is true? Is it the pastor? Is it the people? Well, you can say it's the pastor, but it really doesn't matter because the people will just walk right out the door. <laughs> so that's a waste of time, right? Or they'll fire you, okay? Or, or whatever. So who gets to determine? And even if you're, you create a church structure where they can't fire you, the people can say, peace out. And if everyone leaves, it doesn't matter if you're not fired. You have no one to preach to. So who gets to determine if what's being preached is true or false? Maybe the reason, I'm going to throw this out there. I know this is going to be controversial. Maybe the reason there's so many denominations and there's so many disagreements is because the reality of the Christian world is every person is their own pope, their own magisterial authority, and they determine based off whatever education or Bible study that they have done, what is true and what is false. That's not going to make me popular. But there's a lot of truth to that. Right? And, and to shepherd the people. Mm-hmm. Be and I'm thankful for the ones that are here. And I don't think, I don't want to go, anyways, I get off into something else. I don't want to go down in the mouth either, you know. I'm excited to be here tonight. So, Acts chapter 20 and verse 26. So, wherefore I take you to remembrance, or to record this day, this is Paul speaking, that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. So, Paul taught him everything. So he says, take heed. In other words, beware. Look out. Pay attention. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. He's talking to the elders of Ephesus, the pastors. And to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves... You see, Satan's got a dog in the fight. Grievous wolves will enter in among you, not sparing the flock. You say, who are those grievous wolves? Judaizers. And as church history goes on, other false teachers. So just simply put, false teachers. So also of your own selves shall men arise. Now look at that. From their own ranks speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. All right? Uh, what's a disciple? Somebody's being taught by a teacher. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn uh, everyone night and day with tears. Okay? Paul is warning them, and it's serious. He's pleading with tears watch, take heed. There will be false teachers that will come in and they will draw away disciples. So you see where denominations can come from? 
church splits, other things starting up, moving away from biblical Pauline doctrine. I won't go there, but Galatians 1 is another one. Paul said that there were people preaching another gospel. Remember I said it's mostly over salvation and eternal security? People preaching another gospel, Paul said, already in the first century. And he said, listen, he said, they're anathema. A Maranatha. They're, they're anathema that's cursed. Maranatha at Christ's coming. That if you try to preach another gospel, a, a, a gospel that you're saved by baptism, a gospel that you're saved by faith plus works in the church age, that's another gospel. That's anathema, man. You'd be cursed by God for doing that. He said, even if an angel comes. Well, an angel came to old Muhammad, Right? Came and gave him a vision. Angel came to uh, Joseph Smith. Gave him another gospel, another thing. Alright. So, Satan has a dog in a fight. And then men were not rightly dividing the word of truth. Alright, we'll have to stop there because we're at an hour. He did not get to dispensationalism, unfortunately. So that means tomorrow we will have to finish this. Alright. I was hoping we would actually get to dispensationalism, but we did, we did not. Sorry, I keep leaning away from the microphone. I'm writing the timestamp down. Um, I should put dispensation here, but it's really not about dispensationalism. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, he believes the reason there's so many denominations is because, uh, well, uh, Satan has a dog in the fight and Christian apostasy. And yes, Paul warns that there were going to be grievous wolves that are, that that was going to come into the church, that was going to try to that was going to try to come in, that's going to enter among them, not sparing the flock. And as and also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. The issue is who gets to determine who is the true preacher and who is the false preacher. Who gets to determine that they're wolves and they're not wolves? Who gets to say that's a good that's a good pastor and that's a bad pastor? Who gets to say that's good teaching and that's bad teaching? Well, the way it's structured in, in the non-Catholic world once after the Protestant Reformation is the people in the pew gets to determine. If the people in the pew are determining it, then what's the point of pastors even going to school? Because there's no point. The people in the pew are the ultimate authority. So then it's up to the people in the pew to rightly divide the word of truth and to know the Bible so well that they can then judge those who are preaching and teaching on Sunday. I don't know how else you structure the system. And you say, well, no, 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 no. The, the people in the pew, they're there to submit and listen to the pastor until they disagree. Because on one hand, you can't have them saying they're supposed to submit if they're the ones doing the judging. Right? You say, well, they submit until they judge that it's not being taught correctly. But that still puts them in charge. So why are there so many denominations? If you just listen to our system, our system is every individual with a Bible is the ultimate authority on what is being preached as right or wrong. Meaning, therefore, you have millions of, of authorities and they all get to say, right, just just up on Christian social media on any on any given day. Th- this person's like, no, they're wrong. That preacher's wrong. That sermon is wrong. That scripture's wrong. No, your interpretation is wrong. No, your interpretation is wrong. They're a heretic. No, they're a heretic. No, you're an apostate. No, you're an apostate. And you're like, okay, well. There, I'm just going to walk away now because there's no point in engaging in it because everyone thinks they're right in their own eyes. Now, he thinks the solution, obviously, is going to be, I think his argument is going to be dispensationalism is so vital because it will fix this. If everyone follows dispensationalism, there'll be no Christian apostasy and we can fight Satan. But again, Take it to its logical conclusion. What you're saying is all we need is to pick one theological system. Everyone submits to that theological system. Never question, never doubt it, never fight it, never change it. The question is, you can't get everyone to agree on any theological system. I don't care if it's dispensationalism, lordship salvation, Calvinism, non-Calvinism, Pelagianism, semi-Pelagianism, Arminianism. It doesn't matter what it is. You can't get anyone to agree on it because everyone thinks that they're right. In the meantime, is the Bible even the authority in any of this? 
All right. Thanks for listening to a <laughs> sermon review in our series on dispensationalism, where we reviewed a sermon that's supposed to be about dispensationalism, but I, I, I don't, I don't know. There we go. You can email me your thoughts. I'd love to get your thoughts about this entire dilemma. That hey, the one fun thing is he did put forth a dilemma for us to try to fix. And I, and, I, and I would love to get your thoughts on why there are so many denominations and so much disagreement in Christianity. If you have a better, I gave you my hypotheses, which is completely different than his. You can tell me whether you agree with mine, agree with his, or if you have your own. Email it to me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great Wednesday night. And tomorrow, I promise you, I promise you, we'll fix well, we'll finish this review. Don't forget, you got a Bible pop quiz to work on, on John chapter one. Please get that. Oh, we just started a new series on the tabernacle. Don't forget that. You're supposed to be reading every 50 plus chapters over and over and over on the tabernacle. Start doing that, compiling that. I gave you that homework. Um, and oh, we need to work on long gospel. Oh, wait, we're still not done with sanctification. Oh, uh, yeah, we, yeah. Uh, hey, we, we. We always have a lot going on here, right? But hopefully you benefit from something, right? Hopefully, hopefully you do. All right. Thanks for listening. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great night. God bless.